Now, um, as you probably know, in terms of today, um, the highlight of it is that we have a number of people that I have the privilege of uh, asking a few questions to. And you'll have seen advertised um, that I'm going to be interviewing a politician, a policeman, and a pastor. And so I'm going to interview uh, those people in that order right now. And so first of all, it's a real privilege uh, to be interviewing Marsha de Cordova. Marsha is the MP for Battersea. Uh, in the general election last year, uh, Marsha um, uh, was, uh, vote, uh, was elected as MP uh, of Battersea, a Labour MP. She is on the shadow front bench. Uh, she's a shadow disabilities minister. Uh, Marsha has been part of this church for uh, two or three years, and it is a real joy to know her and have her part of this church family. And uh, we're just going to show you a little clip, just so you can find out a little bit more about Marsha that perhaps you didn't know. Um, Marsha, there we go. We won't ask you to dance to Dancing Queen because uh, that might be too much, but I'm sure you'll be brilliant at it. Now, Marsha, um, you grew up in Bristol. Let's start. In terms of you growing up, you grew up in Bristol. I know loads of your family um, still live in Bristol. That's right, yeah. Um, I know you are an incredible, she is an, uh, part of an incredibly multi talented family. Um, her, one of her brothers um, is a striker for Bristol City. Um, well, in fact, he was a striker for Bristol City. He's just been bought by Cardiff, so he's going to be playing in the Premiership next year. That's right, um, yep. lots, of your, lots of your family are, are based in Bristol. What That's brought right. you to London, therefore, um, and how long ago? So I've been in London over 20 years, and I suppose aside from it being one of the best cities, I would say, um, I have lots of family here also, and I came to London to study, and I chose London because um, in comparison to Bristol, London was so much more of an accessible city, which meant I could uh, get around easily and so forth, whereas I wouldn't have to rely on family and friends to get me around if I'd stayed in Bristol. So things like the transport networks, there was so much more opportunity for me to get around. And, I mean, growing up, because I have extended family, and my aunt's here in the front row, um, so I, you know, came up to London a lot as a child growing up. So, And it's a great city, isn't it? So, it certainly is. It yeah. certainly is. And um, tell us a little bit about how you began to get into politics. Um, so I didn't have this like great aspiration to be a politician growing up, but I always took an interest in politics. So, you know, I used to stay up quite till early hours of the morning with my mum watching general elections. And I remember for my 10th birthday, I was uh, brought a book uh, by, <clears throat> about Nelson Mandela. And that kind of opened my eyes up to some of the injustices that were happening across the world, particularly, obviously, in South Africa and apartheid. And I've always, when I went to university, I got very involved in the disability rights movement because uh, for such a long period of time, disabled people didn't have parity of rights along with other groups. And we had legislation introduced in the mid-1990s, but unfortunately, still today, disabled people were still not having parity of rights. So legislation was introduced that was supposed to give us rights to education, employment, transport, and the provision of goods and services, but it wasn't it's still a fight still today. And so rather than me sitting on the sidelines and complaining about it, I decided to get more involved. And that involved me getting involved in my local community and obviously in my local party. I joined the Labour Party as because as, it lined up with my values and a lot of my beliefs. And um, I was elected in 2014 to the London Borough of Lambeth's Council, which is right here. I spent some time, and then, as you know, just over 12 months ago, I got uh, elected to represent, I'm going to say it, unfortunately, the best constituency in the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what has it been like this last year? Do you feel sort of like a new kid on the block in, in the Houses of Parliament? How does, how does that feel? What's it been like? Goodness, it has been an incredible first 
yeah, honestly. Um, the highlights include, you know, having my mum be um, in Parliament to hear me give my maiden speech, which was, you know, it was an incredible moment. But then also, when you are there, the, the, you, you're, if you're in a debate, for example, there's such strength, there's such power, and there's such passion. So when you're able to contribute to issues like Brexit or to refugees and human rights, or more recently, the Windrush scandal, so to speak, it gives me the opportunity to be that voice. And I believe my purpose in life is to be a voice for the voiceless. And so I have that opportunity to do that. But then also being in my constituency, whether it's, you know, visiting a school or a college or meeting with community and faith leaders. But most important for me, it's been great to be that voice actually for people. That's amazing, Marsha. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know so in, the, in the 20 years you've been in London, one of the things that has uh, changed for you is you would say you, you've become a Christian. Um, and uh, there's a, a sort of real genuine faith uh, in Jesus there. Just tell us a little bit about how that came about. Um, so, obviously, growing up in Bristol, I went to Sunday school, and, and I certainly knew that God existed, but to say that I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I, I certainly didn't have that, and I think it was in my 20s, late 20s, that I... I got on this journey and I remember going into a bookshop and just buying a bible but unfortunately for me it was a King James version so I couldn't really understand it at the time and then a friend invited me to church and I went to that church with her and it wasn't what I expected it was quite a happy clappy church and but I kept going back so obviously something was happening and each week I would go back even on my own and eventually I gave my life to Christ and, and became a Christian and it was the best decision that I've made. Wonderful. And, and now as a Christian uh, who is also a member of parliament, how, how does being a Christian impact the work that you do in your life? I think firstly, I suppose, I think I've said this, said this to you previously, Jager. I mean, I am representing Battersea, which is wonderful, but most importantly, I want to be a representative of Jesus Christ in Parliament. I want to be a beacon of light for those, and I want to ensure the work that I do is truly being Christ's example here on earth for people. The issues that I will campaign for, as you know, being the shadow minister for disabled people, I have a, obviously a personal interest because of my own uh, visual impairment, but also the opportunity to actually shape the vision and future of, of disabled people and others is something that I truly hold on to. And it's through my faith in, in Christ and my relationship with Jesus that I'm going to be able to do that. And you need to be, I don't think I could do or be an MP without being a Christian because it's a, it's a challenging environment. And what's quite great, there's so much that unites us in Parliament, cross-party, because I am part of different groups that aren't just based along political lines. It's certainly cross-party because we all have something in common, and that is our love for Jesus. Marsha, thank you. Shall we give Marsha a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you um, our final guests are a married couple. Uh, Nikki and Pippa Gumbel. Uh, Nikki and Pippa are the leaders of Holy Trinity Brompton, HTB, the largest Church of England church in the country. Uh, Nikki's also the pioneer of Alpha 
Um, Alpha is a course that uh, many, many people have done. I think it's 80 million people in 100 countries. It's been translated into 100 languages for people to find out the claims of Christianity and, and the, the grace that J Johnny has just spoken of. Uh, so Nikki is also my, my, my previous boss, um, and it is a real pleasure uh, to have them both. Would you give a warm welcome to Nikki and Pepper Gumbel? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, Nikki and Pippa, first of all, welcome back because um, you guys are actually truly Clapham residents. You used to live just two or three minutes in that direction yeah. uh, until Nikki became uh, vicar of HDB in 2005. Uh, so, really, the first question I'd love to ask you both um, is where's it better to live, Clapham or South Kensington as you now live? <laughs> <laughs> How can I answer that? We lived in Clapham for 19 years and our children grew up there. And so um, it was such happy years. I, I mean, I love Clapham. Um, I'm, but I obviously love where we are now with the church, HDB. That is wonderful too. So I can't Very choose. Very I can't choose, except I'd forgotten how big that hill was and we biked this morning oh, and yeah. I found that exhausting. We have no hills where I am. <laughs> Um, now, um, uh, for both of you, neither of you grew up in a Christian family, and yet here you are, you're running the, the largest church, in Church of England church in this country. Um, can you just share with us a little bit about how that's come to be? I know, Nikki, let's start with you. I know when you were a teenager, um, you wrote an essay at school uh, proving that, well, disproving the existence of God. Um, how come uh, you are doing what you're doing now when you, there as a teenager you were trying to disprove the existence of God? I wasn't brought up as a Christian. My, my father was a refugee. Uh, he was a refugee from Nazi Germany, and he came here. He was a secular Jew. My mother uh, was not a churchgoer, uh, so I, didn't, I wasn't brought up with faith. But uh, as a teenager, I came to my own conclusion that I was an atheist, an argumentative atheist, but um, some friends of, of mine told me one time that they had become Christians and I was horrified because they were lovely people and I, I thought, how can I help them? I better discover something about what they're into. So I decided to read the New Testament and it was through reading the New Testament that as I read about Jesus, any way I can describe it, it was as if the person of Jesus emerged from the pages of the New Testament. And I encountered him. And that was a, a life-changing moment. I knew that it was true. And uh, I wasn't really very keen to be a Christian because what I associated with church was not very positive. But I, I thought, I've got no alternative. This is true. And so very reluctantly, I said, yes. And at that moment, I, it was like I discovered what I think unconsciously I've been searching for because I think if I look back, there was something missing. Uh, there wasn't. I, I think maybe that unconsciously I was searching for some kind of purpose to life, some kind of meaning. And in that moment of in, encountering Jesus, I found this is what life is all about. Uh, this is life. This is life in all its fullness. Thank you. Pippa, how about you? How, how did that sort of change happen for you? Um, I was brought up in a sort of nominal Christian family. We went to church occasionally. But faith was never never talked about, possibly a little bit like you, Marcia. Um, but 
we, I think if I'd had to put, you know, tick a box, I would have put Christian, but I had no idea. I liken it a little bit to um, how my relationship with the Queen. I know of the Queen, um, but I have no relationship with the Queen. She doesn't ring me up or um, I go around for tea. And I think that was a little bit like growing up. I sort of knew about God. I sort of knew about him, but I had, I had no relationship with him until I met a group of young people when I was about 18, 19, that called themselves Christians. And they were the first people that I was conscious of who had a living faith. And I started to hang out with them, and, and they began to explain the Christian faith. And then one day, somebody sat me down and opened a Bible and showed me John 10.10, which says that I came that you might have life and life to all its fullness. And at that moment, it was like a light bulb for me went on. It was, oh, so there was something in all that church stuff. And this is what it really is. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And I went back that day and I knelt by my bed and I asked Jesus into my life. And I knew from that moment, I'd begun this relationship with him. Thank you. Um, now, I, I, for you, I know, because, particularly because of your experiences that you just shared there, you've had a passion and you have a passion for other people to have the opportunity to uh, investigate Jesus for themselves, to find a real faith for themselves, to find life in all its fullness. And that's really what Alpha's all about. Just, just can you tell us a little bit about the journey of, of the Alpha course and how um, that has been so important for you guys? I guess if you're like me and you know what it is not to be a Christian. I know the difference between my experience before and the difference that Jesus has made. And it's so different, so amazing. Uh, I immediately wanted everyone to know. And first I thought all my old atheist friends, I'd just go and tell them and they'd all become Christians. So I just went and said, look guys, it's true, you better become Christians. Uh, And not all of them did. So I started to work out, how how do we explain this? How can we we tell people about, I mean, this is the best news that you can ever know. To know that you are loved and to know what you, Marcia, you you described so beautifully and Johnny. To know that in your life when you see what, uh, you hear those stories. You want everyone to have that. And so we try to find a way and, and, you know, I tried everything. I tried like questionnaires on the streets, going up to people. The first question was, what did you have for breakfast today? And the last question was, would you like to ask Jesus into your life? <laughs> and I didn't find it was very effective. You know, it was kind of like, so, uh, and then we stumbled across this course, Alpha, which is just such fun. It's a very low-key, relaxed, non-confrontational, unpressurized way. People come, you know. By the way, the best place to do Alpha in the country is Holy Trinity Clapham. I mean, look at this. Look at this church. Jago and Susanna, Marsha, Johnny. What, where would, why wouldn't you want to come and explore faith here? Great group of people, fantastic environment, lots of fun. Uh, you sit around in a group, you know, maybe like some, led by someone like Johnny, someone who's a part of the church and just hosted and lots of people talking about their own experiences, being very open and authentic. It wasn't so great to hear two people speaking so vulnerably about their lives and that's what happens in the Alpha Small Group. Everyone talks vulnerably, openly and we try and impress people with our strengths but we connect through our vulnerabilities and what happens in the Alpha Small Group is people connect and they help each other and 
so often they find on this journey, they find this relationship and watching that. We are on our 84th small group in a row of Alpha. And I wouldn't miss it for anything, just watching people explore faith and um, just the difference that it makes in their lives. Thank you. Uh, one of the things you've done as well in the last few years is put on a uh, big leadership conference in the Albert Hall um, and uh, invited loads and loads of people to come to that. Um, what is it about, um, why, why have you sort of decided that's something you want to do to focus on leadership and what do you feel um, Christianity has to say about the whole subject of leadership? I'll have a shot at it. <laughs> um, well, leadership is influence, and we all influence people. And we, we're always desperately in need of people who have integrity and skill to lead. We're looking at, for it in politicians, and I'm so thrilled to, to meet you today, Marsha, because we would need people who lead our country who have integrity. We need people who are police officers who have integrity. We need doctors, school teachers, everything. And if we can add value, if we can increase our ability to influence better, then it must be a win on every side. A James, I mean, a Jago win. That's a terrible joke. A win. Um, anyway, sorry, just suddenly struck me. <laughs> very good joke it's Pierce. a terrible um, but uh, that we need and the opportunities are, great, uh, are huge and I, we've, we started very small we started in our church with just having a few people coming and it's grown over the years and this last one that we had at the Royal Albert Hall was extraordinary we had um, the, I think he's supposed to be the most influential leader on, of, um, on leadership in the world, somebody co called um, John Maxwell. And then we had this human rights lawyer called um, Brian Stevenson who works all the time uh, with trying to rescue people from on death row in America. And he's the most inspiring person I've ever heard in the whole of my life. And just to have people come and speak to us, we can all learn. I hope every time that we go away a better person because of the, the people, the opportunities we have. And so that, I, so that I love the leadership conference from that point of view because I always go away challenged, changed, empowered, humbled, all those things because of hearing people in whatever field they're, they're in talking about how they have influenced people, how they have tried in their humble way to lead in their field. Thank you. And um, a little later today, about two o'clock, um, Nikki and Pip are going to be speaking a little bit more uh, about the whole subject of leadership. So after the service is finished and after you've had your go on the bungee run and eat, eaten food and had a drink, then do come back in at two o'clock and we're going to hear a bit more from them both about the whole subject of leadership. Can I ask um, all of you, actually, just one final question? Um, and the question is, is this. You, as you've all shared, you're, you're all people who follow Jesus, um, and you've shared a little bit about this, but if you just had to say in 30 seconds, why is it worth being a Christian, um, what would you say? Why is it worth being a Christian? Who wants to start? Marsha, go for it. Do you want me to start? Um, so what I would firstly say is Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for us, and we have that knowing that with, through Christ, we will lead a life full of purpose. And I think that's the most important thing because we are all here to fulfill God's plan and his will on earth. And that's why, if you're not a Christian, you should be. 
Johnny. Really just one line, because life makes absolutely no sense to me otherwise. Um, because it changed my life. Even then, I, I, I didn't know it, but I was lost. And I know now that I've been found, I, that I have this relationship with Jesus. I've, of course, you have your ups and downs in life, but I always know that Jesus is there. I can turn to him. I can pray. And actually, it's through the hard times that the, my faith is even more important to me. Thank you. There are a thousand reasons, I mean, that you're loved. But I just want to say one thing, if I may. You may. Being here um, at Holy Trinity, Clapham, uh, because you can make a profound difference. And look at what's happened with this church. Look at Wilberforce's life. He changed the whole of our society, but not only that, he changed the lives of millions of people who were in slavery. And his Christian faith drove him to see transformation in society. And I think it's amazing, Marsha, that you're here, an MP in Clapham, in this church. Isn't that exciting? Well, yeah. Yeah. What will they be talking about in 100 years' time? Marsha. They'll be saying, this is the church. That she was at and the difference she made. I mean, just the difference already, what you're doing in terms of disability. How amazing that you have that calling. And, Johnny, and by the way, it's not the best job in the world. This is the best. We've got the best job in the world. But yours are very good, too. And very important. Anyway. Thank Sorry, you. that's Th- more than 30 seconds. Uh, thank you very, very much to all of you. Now, before you give them all a round of applause, you've got one more job, and that is it is Clapham Sunday, and we have here our Clapham Sunday picture frame, which is going to be floating around the, um, uh, the grounds afterwards. So I'd love you, uh, I think we've got Dan, our professional photographer here, so I'd love you to come and join in and be in the Clapham Sunday picture frame uh, with me uh, for a quick photo, if that's all right. Uh, so c- come in, and Dan, we're going to say cheese. Are you ready? <laughs> HTC. Jesus! <laughs> Indeed. There we go. Would you give him a round of applause? Well, thank you so, so much um, to each of our four there for all that they um, shared. It's so, so exciting to hear um, all that they shared. And I asked each of our guests... Uh, That little question there at the end, um, why do you think it's worth being a Christian? Why do you think it's worth being a Christian? It was fascinating to hear all their responses. And uh, really I asked them that because our our little Bible reading that Charlie read for us a little bit earlier uh, was all about that. It was Jesus giving two little pictures, two two parables about why it is definitely worth uh, being a Christian. Why it's worth, as Jesus says, being in the kingdom of heaven uh, with Jesus as our king. And we're just going to put up on the screen, uh, just for a couple of minutes, um, just those verses again. And you'll just see, if you look at them there, just, there's, there's some similarities between the two people in the two little parables. And uh, both of them, both of them find something precious. They find something precious, a treasure in a field, a hugely valuable pearl. And both think it is worth selling all that they have to get their hands on that one thing. So there's lots of similarities, but actually there's some differences between the two men as well. 
And the man in the field, he wasn't searching for treasure, was he? You know, he just sort of stumbled upon it almost by chance. Uh, he was probably a farm laborer or something like that. And he was a farm laborer, maybe been asked by his boss to, to dig a hole in the, uh, to sort of plant seeds or whatever. And suddenly he finds this treasure, just stumbles on it. But the pearl merchant, very, very different. Pearl merchant, very different. The pearl merchant was, would have been an expert in his field. The pearl merchant had been searching for the ultimate pearl for years and years and years. Two very different types of people. And I guess that'll probably be the same amongst us all here today. Some of us, we will be here and we will have been searching for the purpose to life for years. We'll have been investigating lots, reading lots, speaking to people lots, like the pearl merchant, looking like mad. Uh, just um, this week, I met up with someone at our church office who'd asked to meet with me. And uh, she, um, uh, she grew up in London, and she is highly academic. Uh, she's just finished a, a PhD at Harvard and has just come back to this country. And she wanted to meet with me because she'd, uh, in Harvard, she'd met a group of Christians whose worldview and whose way they lived their life really impressed her. And she, she came back and she was searching. She was wanting to find things out. And she's about to get married, maybe having children soon. And she was asking the big questions. She was wanting to find things out. She asked me, what can I read? Where can I discuss these things? I need to search out and find out if the Christian worldview, if it makes sense, if it's true, if it's worth it. And she's like the pearl merchant. Very intentional. And that might be you as well. But others here, we may be more like the farm laborer. Maybe you just sort of find yourself here today by chance. Maybe somebody invited you along. Uh, maybe you got a flyer at the tube station. Maybe a Paw Patrol character invited you yesterday. Maybe you just saw the beer tent and you thought, why not? I'm going to come along. The fact is, it doesn't matter which of those two characters we are more like. The important thing is acting on the information that we have. And Marsha and Johnny and Nikki and Pippa, they've talked about how it is worth being a Christian. If you like, the benefits far outweigh the costs. Now, it would be wrong to say that there are no costs at all, but the costs are nothing compared to the benefits. And I love the little phrase, just if you go back to it and just see uh, with the farm laborer, the little phrase in the middle of the sentence, it says, in his joy, he went and sold everything. In his joy. You see, coming into relationship with God is as joyous as finding treasure. And hopefully you heard that from these four people as I interviewed them. It is so joyous. We might have to dig to get it. We might have to give up things. But being with God in his kingdom, it is more important, it's more wonderful, it is more joyous than anything else in the entire world because God himself is the treasure. And you know, it's not just that God is the treasure. But you know, God has a treasure too. God has this treasure that brings him such joy. God has a treasure that he was prepared to give up everything for. And that treasure is you. That treasure is you and me. It is every single one of us. It's because of us that he gave up the comfort of heaven to come to this world. It's because of us that he gave up everything he had as he died on the cross for us. It is because of us, his treasure, that he did all that. 
A few years ago, um, some uh, friends of Susanna and mine gave us a, um, a mystery weekend. They said, we want to give you a mystery weekend. And so they presented us with this box. And they told us we weren't allowed to open this box until the Friday evening of the designated weekend and uh, that we needed to have our passports at the ready. And so when we got to the Friday evening, of course, we were super excited and we opened up the box. And in the box, uh, there were um, uh, two Eurostar tickets for Paris. Uh, there was a booking for a hotel in the center of Paris. Uh, there was a, a guidebook to Paris. Uh, there was a booking for a taxi that came and picked us up early on the Saturday morning. And there was some euros, some spending money. It was absolutely amazing. Our friends had, had done it all. They'd organized everything and they had paid for everything too. We didn't have to do anything. But in a sense, we did have to do something. You know, we could have just left the box on the mantelpiece unopened. Never opened it, never looked inside it, never benefited from the treasure inside. But if we'd done that, we would have been pretty stupid. You know, what we've been hearing today is that for each one of us, God offers you treasure today. He offers you treasure. Now, in the box is not a weekend in Paris, but in the box is forgiveness, is purpose, is peace with God, being reconciled with him, is hope, is joy, is knowing we are loved, is eternal life, starting now and going on for eternity. That's what's in the box. And what is in the box, God offers to you and I, and it is worth all the riches of heaven, and it cost him his death on the cross. And in his tender love for you, God offers you this treasure. And each one of us, we we have a choice. We, we We can refuse it or accept it. We can take it or we can leave it on the mantelpiece. There's a cost. We have to bother to open the box and we have to to, to take up the offer. But the benefit is so much greater. And so perhaps today, today if you are recognizing that it is worth being a Christian with Jesus as your king, if you want this treasure, if you would love to know the joy of being in a right relationship with the God who created you and saved you, then just right now, I'm just going to finish by praying a prayer that you might like to echo in your heart if you want to, as it were, accept this treasure that God offers you. So as we close, shall we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that I am your treasure. Thank you that you gave up everything to die for me on the cross. And Jesus, sorry for all the ways that I've lived my life with my back to you, ignoring you. And Jesus, I thank you that you indeed are the greatest treasure And that you offer the greatest treasure of relationship with you. And I ask you to fill me with your joy by the power of your spirit as you come and be king of my life. Amen.